Welcome to Ew, That's Creepy Podcast. The next two episodes will discuss homicides that occurred on the beach. In this episode, Melissa will tell Jackie about the heartbreaking double homicide of a young engaged couple. The decades-long fight for justice would uncover a disturbing and evil killer with even more victims. Please note that this episode will discuss violence, assault, suicide, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, creepy cats? It's Ethan's Creepy <laughs> Podcast. Jackie and I are back with another episode, and it's the first official summer episode. Should we say that? Yes, it is summer officially for us. It's already so hot where we are. So if it's hot where you guys are, we hope you're staying cool and doing some fun summer things. What do you have planned? Tell us, everyone. Wow. That's so (laughs) exciting. Yeah, it's 90 (laughs) degrees here. So what we will be doing is just staying cool this whole next week where we are. And I have been so lately in the mood for crime. Remember how I said like last month I was not in the mood and I was just over it? I don't know what got into me. Mom and I watched a good dateline, and then after that, I was like, I'm addicted. Give me crime. I know. I've been more into it lately, too. So, Jackie and I wanted to talk about, we wanted to do kind of a summer theme and go back to crime since we were doing um, haunted episodes last week, and we wanted to talk today about um, crimes that took place on the beach slash bodies that were found on the beach. I feel like there are so many horror movies, classic horror movie trope that starts off with a body being found on the beach. Is that how Jaws? Or no? No, she gets thrashed around in the water, swamped around in the water for a bit. Oh, but the guy just sees it? No one sees it. Hmm. Except the camera. The audience. But anyway, this, I will say this case that I'm going to be telling Jackie, this one is very tragic because it's just one of those cases where it's really senseless and it just breaks your heart. Um, It was pretty wild. It had a lot of layers and there's also a People Magazine Investigates episode on this. It is season five, episode two. They had good information regarding the victim's families, so definitely check that out if you are interested. But I'm going to be telling Jackie today about the, it's called, people, everyone, you know, gives crimes a nickname, and this one they called the Jenner Beach Murders, because it took place in Jenner, California. Um, so let's just get right into it. Like I said, trigger warnings because this is going to be a pretty heavy one once we start um, getting into it. And I just also want to say that the police in this case did a really great job because this case was unsolved for 13 years. Wow. That's a long time. 
I know. And the police really kept up with it and things like that. So, and the families in these cases, just oh, my heart. But, um, so the Jenner Beach murders took place in 2004. But let's talk about the two victims for a minute because they were, by all accounts, two incredibly lovely people who were angelic. Like, why Why is it always the best people that these senses It always things? is. It always is. Like, literally, you hear about the background and you're just like, what the bleep? <laughs> Lindsay Cutshaw was born in Fresno, Ohio. She grew up in a very Christian household in a super small town. Her family took their faith very seriously. They all really enjoyed going to church, reading the Bible. Lindsay's parents had nothing but amazing, great things to say about their daughter. They said she was super sweet. Um, She loved the Lord. She loved reading the Bible. And she was just an amazing daughter. In 2002, Lindsay attended the Appalachian Bible College located in West Virginia, ABC for short. It is a private Christian Bible college that focuses on intermingling faith with education and careers. And they even offer accredited courses to inmates now. Oh, that's nice. Very sweet. While at college, Lindsay made a tight group of friends. So Lindsay had an older sister, and her older sister had also gone to ABC. So Lindsay was able to make friends with some of her sisters, her older sister's friends. She had a tomboy kind of personality, and the group that she mingled with enjoyed hiking and rock climbing. So it was really her group of people And she fit in very well. Through that circle of friends who like to do these adrenaline outdoor type of activities, Lindsay met Jason Allen, a recent graduate of ABC. So he was four years older than her, but people said that when the two met in 2002, they fell very hard for each other. Friends said that their personalities were perfect and that they were described as being soulmates. They were engaged just six weeks after dating, and they planned to get married in the fall of 2004. Wow. I know, just again, like, the most perfect couple, the sweetest couple, basically love at first sight. They meet, they both went to the same Christian college. Let's make the story even sadder. I know, literally, like, I was bawling at the end of this People Magazine Investigates episode, but... (laughs) Great. By the time 2004 rolled around, Lindsay and Jason had moved across the country to El Dorado County, California, and they were working at that time as camp counselors at a Christian summer camp called Rockin' Water I think it was like rafting. So it was Christian education and then I believe rafting and outdoor activities. And friends and coworkers of that summer camp told People Magazine that they believed Jason and Lindsay one day wanted to open their own Christian camp because they really loved the outdoors and spending time with others. That's so sweet of them. 
I know. Just the greatest people. In August of 2004, Lindsay and Jason decided to get away for the weekend. They wanted just a weekend of relaxing and spending time together in the San Francisco area. Because remember, they're not from California. So for them, a weekend sightseeing was really exciting and fun. So they were just going to drive through some cities, see what is around. And credit card receipts do show the couple was out and about shopping on August 14th. They were in the Fisherman's Wharf area of San Francisco. I looked it up. It's like a pier and streets with seafood restaurants and little shops. It looked so adorable and cute. And there were also a lot of witnesses from August 14th who later told police that they had seen the couple and the couple just were young and in love. They were asking a lot of locals for their recommendations and things like that. Um, so the couple just went around the San Francisco area. They went through Sonoma County, just a lot of cities, sightseeing, shopping, taking photos of one another. So it's mostly believed that on Saturday, August 14th, the couple went to a motel and restaurant called River's End, but were unable to get a room. No one is for sure on the specifics of if the hotel, if the motel was all booked up or if Lindsay and Jason just decided this, but either way, it was decided that the couple would spend the night on the beach and before anyone has any judgment, because at first I kind of thought this was a little odd, it was said in the articles that I will link that multiple locals and multiple people had told them that if they like couldn't find a place to stay, the beach was quiet and no one really stayed there except people passing through. So that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, again, I do think it's odd, but this was in 2004 before, I think people were more trustworthy. And at the same time, if locals are telling you that something is safe, if locals are saying, it's beautiful, spend the night down on the beach, you would think it's safe and it's okay. Yeah, not my place to judge. Thank you, Jackie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the couple had their sleeping bags, so they did just decide to park their car and spend the night on Fishhead Beach under the stars. And this beach was a rocky, narrow beach. So it's not your typical tourist destination. It's not California beach with piers and everything. It was rocky and mountainous on the sides. So it was pretty desolate. It was quiet. Lindsay and Jason walked down to the beach. They laid out their sleeping bags. They journaled for a little bit. In an LA Times article that I will link below, they um, investigators later read Lindsay's journal and she had written, quote, the sun is going down on the horizon and all I see is the beams shining off the cliff face and I know that God is awesome. I look around and I see his creation all around me, end quote. <laughs> and Jason also was journaling just saying how much he loved that moment and how much he loved his fiance Lindsay. Like, oh, Stop. 
take a breath. So the two curled up in their sleeping bags. They had separate sleeping bags and they ended up falling asleep. On Monday morning, Monday, I believe August 16th, workers at the Rock and Water Christian Camp noticed that Lindsay and Jason did not show up to their shifts. They did some searching. They couldn't find them. So workers at the camp called Lindsay's mother, Kathy, and asked Kathy if she knew where Lindsay and Jason were. And Kathy replied that she assumed her daughter was at camp where she should have been. And they, the workers told Kathy that she was not there. She didn't show up for her shift. And Kathy said she just knew something was seriously, seriously wrong in the situation. That's an awful feeling. Like, I can't, I can't even imagine. I really can't because that's never happened to me. But when I, I imagine it, it seems awful. I always think about that. Literally your worst nightmare, getting a phone call or someone knocking at the door telling you you don't know where a loved one is or there's been a horrible accident. Like, literally the worst moment. Yeah. The moment everyone dreads. Yeah, for sure. So, police did... The police were called pretty early on, and they began their investigation because it was just so out of the ordinary that... This couple, who wasn't even from California, would choose to disappear from this camp that they loved working at. And thankfully, police did start searching early. Police began backtracking the couple's movements from the weekend, but they did not have to do their searching for long because on Wednesday, the 18th, a police helicopter was searching the Fishhead Beach area looking for a man who was reportedly stranded on a cliff. While searching, the helicopter spotted two bodies laying on the beach, and they were not moving. The police department was notified, and they headed to the scene, and tragically, they found Lindsay and Jason. Both were deceased, still in their sleeping bags, with their Bibles and their journals next to them. It's just such a heartbreaking scene to find two innocent people, like, sleeping in nature with their Bibles. That is so sad. Did they, like, tell? Could they tell how they were killed? Yes. Right away. Sorry, I'm, like, so shook I can't even get my thought out. That's okay. (laughs) Yes, they could tell that both of them had been shot. And yeah, it's just so, it shakes you to the core because it's like the epitome of evil that someone could stand over a couple with their Bibles next to them and do this. Asleep, I'm assuming. Yeah. It's just literally the epitome of evil, like, but unfortunately when police did investigate, like I said, they were shot and a ballistics investigation was performed And it was determined that Lindsay and Jason had been killed with a hunting rifle. So even though it was pretty much clear based on the positioning of the bodies, police definitely ruled out a murder-suicide. That would have been impossible. And there was no gun found at the scene. There was no weapon found at the scene. And the killer had also taken the shell casings. 
So, unfortunately, police could not recover that evidence. The gun was noted to be a 45 caliber Marlin, and police said that was a pretty uncommon weapon for that area, so it was unique enough that they mentioned it, basically for people to be on the lookout for someone using that weapon. There was also DNA that was recovered, I think maybe on the car, on Lindsay and Jason's car. I'm not sure exactly, but they did have DNA evidence. Early on, detectives speculated that perhaps a drifter passing through the area had killed the couple. Basically because that I that stretch of the beach was mainly for drifters or people who just needed to spend a night on the beach. It wasn't really an area that many people went to. So I, that was kind of why detectives thought maybe. But if it was someone who was a drifter or homeless, you would think that they would rob the couple and nothing from Lindsay and Jason was taken. Yeah, that's weird. And luckily, neither of them were sexually assaulted or assaulted at all. So again, It didn't seem like this would have been a homeless person or a drifter. Yeah, it's like, what was the reason other than to just come up and shoot them both and kill them? Exactly. In the first few weeks of the investigation, police received over 700 tips. Many seemed promising, as they do at the start of an investigation. But I'm sure they weren't, since you said it was 13 years before this was solved. Yes, sorry. Um... Some motives that police investigated from leads, it was just, like, all over the place. There were leads about ex-boyfriends, love triangles. Could the couple have been mistaken for a seal and hunters were there and then got scared and didn't tell anyone? Could it have been a gang ritual killing? Like, there were so many tips and things that they were getting from people. But nothing concrete turned up, even after the 700 or so. That's crazy. And unfortunately, the case did go cold after that. They did have promising leads, but people would just call in and be say, I have a suspicion about this person. And they didn't have any facts that they could actually tie anyone to. Nothing solid. So, basically, by the end of 2004, the case is going kind of cold. The leads are drying up. Almost two years go by without any real movement in the case, which was devastating for Lindsay and Jason's family, clearly. And it was pretty terrifying for the local community to think that someone could do something so evil and heinous and then just get in their car or walk away like it was nothing. Yeah. In May 2006, the Sonoma County Police decided to release some new information in hopes of catching the killer. So, police released evidence such as poems and driftwood pieces that were drawn on, which were found at the scene. What? I know. And there was an empty 40-ounce bottle of Camo brand beer And that brand was specific to Wisconsin. So it was unusual to find it on a California beach. So it's someone from Wisconsin. (laughs) Potentially. 
Detectives also said that they found a distinctive hat above the beach that could maybe be the killer's as well. What does a distinctive hat mean? I know. <laughs> I wanted to find an image, but I couldn't. A distinct hat. And so detectives release all of that information, and they also say there's going to be a $50,000 reward for anyone who could provide information leading to the murderer. Now, there was one strong lead that police received from another set of detectives early on. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police contacted Sonoma County Police and told them that they had been looking for a killer in an unsolved double homicide that occurred in 1972, and the homicide seemed very similar to the 2004 Jenner Beach killings. So in 1972, a young Christian couple was found shot at Virginia's Jefferson National Forest. Their names were Anne Barbara Durant, who was a 20-year-old woman from Canada, and her boyfriend, Leif Bertil Carlson, a 19-year-old Swedish exchange student. This couple was found still cuddled up in their sleeping bag together. Like, so sad. Both were shot multiple times with a rifle. Without getting too deep into that investigation, because that one is pretty deep as well, the main suspect was a man named Joseph Henry Burgess. So at that time, in 1972, he was a mentally unstable man living in the wilderness, basically, who claimed he was a prophet of God. And right before Anne and Leaf were murdered... Burgess had told another camper that he strongly disapproved of the couple being together in that nature because they were not married. So he basically thought an unwed couple shouldn't be sleeping in the same sleeping bag and camping together. Like, mind your own business. I was just going to say, I'd say that's none of his business. (laughs) I know. And right after the couple was found murdered, Burgess fled the campground and some of his belongings were found crumpled up and discarded. Like, Mm. it was pretty obvious who else randomly camping would want to do that besides someone who made odd comments and then tossed their belongings in ditch town. Yeah, that's true. So, Joseph Henry Burgess then became a suspect in the Jenner Beach killings because of the similarities. He would have been 58 at the time of Jason and Lindsay's murders, so he certainly could have committed the crimes But no one knew where he was. He was still on the run. Hmm. But in 2009, while on the run in Mexico, Burgess was shot and killed in a shootout with the police in the Yemez Mountains. Jeez. And that, if you guys want more information, look him up because this man had a pretty intense story, a pretty intense life with a lot of crime And the shooting, the shootout in Mexico seemed like a movie, but so sad. He killed a police officer in the shootout. And so his DNA was tested after he passed away. And it was not a match for the Jenner Beach killer. Dang. So a long search came to an end for the families of Anne and Leaf, But sadly, there was still a killer at large in the Jenner Beach killings. On Friday, May 5th, 2017, almost 
13 years since Lindsay Cutshaw and Jason Allen were killed. Sonoma County Sheriff's Office held a conference stating that they had an announcement. What is it? Sonoma County Sheriff Steve Freitas announced that police had finally discovered the killer. A 38-year-old man named Sean Gallen, and he currently was living in Forestville, California. Apparently, Sean Gallen had been a suspect early on, but police could never confirm for sure. They had no facts, but they did say he was on their radar pretty early on in the investigation. I wonder why. Let's get into it. But let me just give you guys a warning. We're going to get into this man, Sean Gallen, and he was a pretty messed up guy. He did some pretty messed up things. And I'm not even going to get into everything because in some of the articles there was mentioning of animal abuse and things like that. But I don't want to, I don't like to get in any of that. So I'm just going to talk on things that are important to know about his life. Um, so like I said, trigger warnings for the next bit talking about him. There's not a ton known about his life, like his childhood life. I could only really find out that he was homeschooled by his family and the family were pretty isolated from the world. He did have a brother named Seamus and they were not close. We'll get into that in a minute. In 2001, at the age of 21, Sean apparently took a large dose of the psychedelic drug LSD. And after doing so, Sean would continue to tell his family and friends that the LSD changed his mental state and his personality. He said that he went crazy after he took it. So... In 2004, this was a very rough and violent year for Sean Gallen. At some point in the year, Sean's father sought help for his son. He actually called social services and he said that he was afraid his son was in a bad mental state and that he would become violent. Yikes. David Gallen specifically said that he was worried Sean would injure his brother Seamus and potentially kill him. Like, what exactly is going on inside the home that's making you think that? I don't know, but it's really scary and I kind of don't want to find out. Good point. When a social worker did show up to the home, Susan Gallen, the mother, wouldn't let the social worker come inside. So I don't, I don't think that David had told her and Sean that he called. And so she was pretty furious. She didn't let the social worker inside, but the social worker did speak with Sean in a public area outside the home. And they reported that he showed bizarre behavior and was unhygienic. Oh, neither of those are good. That same year in two. In 2000, I'm sorry, that same year in June, Sean attempted to kill a man he had previously gotten into a bar fight with by using a bomb. And he said that him and this man had made up, but the more he thought about it, the more upset and angry he became. 
So he put a bomb in a gift-wrapped box on top of his car. The man's partner actually was the victim, and the blast apparently was so strong that it shook the entire house nearby. Oh my gosh. That's, that is crazy. Luckily, the person was not killed and they survived, but just like, oh my God, so much going on in this man's life in a short amount of time. Yeah. So that was in June. We already know what happened in August 2004 with Lindsay and Jason. And then, this part is so irritating. In late August, so just a week after Lindsay and Jason were murdered, Sean Gallen was arrested on a separate weapons charge. And while he was in jail, he called his father, David, and asked if his father could get rid of some guns that he owned. (laughs) And David did it. He threw away some of his son's guns, including the weapon that killed Lindsay and Jason. He later told police that he was scared of his son's behavior, and that was why he got rid of the weapons. It wasn't that he wanted to be an accomplice. I think that he was scared his son would harm someone with them, so he just wanted to get rid of them. Well, legally, that is being an accomplice, and you could be criminally charged. (laughs) Yeah, it it is. Like, I don't understand that decision, but I guess he's just in a really hard place because he tried to get him help and it didn't work. Later, still in 2004, I think a, a couple weeks or a month or so after the murder of Lindsay and Jason, police found Sean at another Sonoma Beach beach located in Gurnerville. With a stolen loaded gun that had been stolen in a home robbery. He was wearing a camouflage jumpsuit. And detectives just knew he looked very suspicious. The unsolved murder was still fresh on their mind. And they just were like, okay, we need to talk to this guy. They ask him some questions. And then they still are just thinking he is very odd. And they get a warrant to search his apartment. First, before even searching the apartment, police noted that Sean had dyed his hair blue from the time that they had seen him until, like, just the short period of time when they got this warrant to search his apartment. Hmm. Like, why are you trying to alter your appearance? Yeah. So quickly. When they did search his home, they found a five-pound gallon drum full of strange items such as matches, bullets, sections of pipe, cords, and then around the apartment, investigators found large clumps of hair, copious amounts of blood, dead animals, and a cut-up shark in his refrigerator. What the hell? Literally like House of Horrors investigating this apartment. Where the clumps of hair and the blood, like, I wanted them to test that. Was that human blood? Yeah. Ooh, gross. I know. Investigators did question Sean regarding the murders of Lindsay and Jason at that time, but he did not admit to anything or he didn't provide any information He also said he would come back and take a polygraph test, but of course, once he was out of the 
investigation like once he was out of the interview then he didn't want to take the polygraph and basically became unhelpful in later years sean gallon was charged with shooting and wounding a man with an arrow and an attempted homicide which i couldn't find specifics on oh okay like rap sheet and there was even more things like where did you get the gun that was taken in the home robbery so many other things it's all violent too yeah like this guy was clearly deep involved in multiple facets of crime so now let's get into what actually broke the case because that all of that was crazy but that still wasn't what was getting Sean actually arrested for the Jenner Beach murders. So, this is, this, we're just keep getting into heavy stuff, guys, just warning you. As the years went by, David Gallen apparently believed more and more that his son had killed the couple at Jenner Beach. I, I believe with the more evidence being released, like, he just knew that it was his son at one point, he did confront Sean about the homicides, but I'm not sure if Sean denied it or just didn't say anything or was vague. But tragically, in 2013, David took his own life, and it was Sean later very coldly admitted that his father most likely couldn't deal with the guilt of knowing that he disposed of the murder weapon and that his son was a a murderer. Jeez, that's messed up. Like, I don't agree with everything that David did, but it is really sad because at one point he did try to get his son help. And to just think the guilt he must have been feeling at that time before he took his life, like, that's really tragic, too. Yeah. It's just a very sad situation. And, ugh. I do feel really bad for this family because in 2017, so four years later, deputies are called to the Gallon home by the mother, Susan Gallon, who reported that a shooting had taken place. When police arrived, they found Sean's brother, Seamus, face down with a gunshot wound. He was pronounced deceased and it was pretty obvious that Sean was the killer. Seamus had been shot at a short distance with a rifle in the chest and the neck. And Sean admitted to it, and he later claimed that the motive was a decades-long feud between the two. (laughs) And that it was Seamus's fault, though, because if Seamus would have just gotten over it, then Sean would not have had to kill him. Okay. So messed up. He, Sean, told police that he retrieved his rifle from his vehicle, then went inside and without a word, just shot Seamus in the chest, and he even cleared the gun when it jammed and shot Seamus again in the neck. Wow. Like, that's your brother in your family home. Yeah, that's crazy. Not even caring that your mother is there, too, and has to witness that. Your father just passed. Like, it's just... Again... I'm sure Susan and David were going through a lot. I don't agree with all of their decisions, but now at this point, Susan has lost her entire family, and I just feel so horrible for her. Like, such a tragedy caused by one person. 
Obviously, Sean was arrested for the murder of his brother. And while in prison, he started to read the Bible, become a little more religious like they usually do. After a short time in prison, Sean told police that he wanted to confess to an unsolved murder from more than a decade ago. Sean disturbingly said that in August of 2004, on the night of the murders, he was in the area looking to do some boar hunting when he spotted a red vehicle pulled over by the beach. He saw Lindsay and Jason walking down to the beach and assumed that they were homeless just staying there. He claimed that he heard voices in his head beckoning him down to the beach while the couple were asleep. Ew. So he went down and watched them and then went back up to his car to get his rifle. Like, Ugh. horrifying. That's so creepy. In the pitch black night, he took his rifle. He went down to the rocky stretch leading to the beach. He shot Jason first and he revealed horrifically that Lindsay sat up and he shot her before she could even say anything. Like... What the hell is wrong with you? Like, I don't even have words to describe how evil he is. Yeah. Sean continued to tell police that he picked up the expended bullet casings and put them in a soda can. And as we know, he called his father later from jail and asked his father to remove the murder weapon. And then when he was out of jail, Sean threw the soda can with the shell casings out into a bush And shockingly, police were able to retrieve the casings still in the soda can after more than a decade. They were still where he had left them. Wow. That's pretty crazy. So police were able to retrieve them and use that for evidence. And they, of course, matched the scene. In 2019, Sean Gallen pleaded no contest to the three homicides of Lindsay, Jason, and his brother Seamus. A month later at his sentencing, the judge ordered that Sean serve three consecutive life sentences without parole, plus 94 years on top of that. Good. At his sentencing, Lindsay's mother brought the wedding dress that her daughter planned to wear in 2004. No. She held it up and she asked him to look at it. And it's just like seeing it is so heartbreaking and just the fact that he clearly it's like he had no remorse from that. He just went on and then did more awful stuff. So many awful things. Like you just saw them as prey for a game. Like <sighs> just it's what is wrong with you? I don't get it. The Cutshaw family has remained extremely faithful and um there was a quote and I should have I should have actually quoted it, but Lindsay's father had basically stated that He said that very early on, him and Lindsay's mother made a promise that they were not going to let this man ruin their lives. Like, they, he took something so precious from them, but they were not going to let him ruin their lives and taint their memory of their daughter. Good. I'm glad they can at least have that much of, like, you know. mm Mm-hmm. Being, having such a strong faith really helped the family, And they said that any good things that have come out of this horrible tragedy, they call Lindsay Fruits. Oh, stop. That's so cute. I know. 
Well, you know, they're very strong because I know a lot of people definitely don't have, like, that sort of mindset. So that takes a lot of strength to keep pushing on after something so tragic and heartless. I know. To be so positive, Lindsay's mother even sent Sean a Bible to prison and hopes that he will read it and find God. And so... I hope so. I'm not sure about Jason Allen's family because they were not interviewed. Um, Perhaps they just wanted to have their privacy through this whole thing, which is completely understandable. But Mm -hmm. I hope that they found the same peace inside that the cut shells have as well. And... You know, this is just such a tough case because clearly Sean Gallen had mental health issues. When he was evaluated in 2017, doctors did say he had some sort of schizotypal personality disorder along with intense paranoia. Mm. So he did have untreated mental illnesses, but it's just like, it also just seemed like he had this hatred in his heart, like... Any single person who wronged him in any situation, he needed to get revenge on them. And then it was always their fault. Like, him killing his brother was his fault. He said that him putting the bomb on that man's car was his fault. No accountability. Right. So it's just really sad because mental illness does make up for a lot of things. But then at the same time, you can't blame. Like, can you blame just blatantly evil behavior on mental illness? That is true. And it still doesn't make up for the people who are dead. Yeah. Like, even if that's the case, it's not excusable. So what is the solution? It's it's so horrible. It's so tragic. But I still wanted to tell this case just because of the fact that Lindsay and Jason were so pure. Just these amazing individuals. Like, they deserve to have their story be told. And they deserve to have this great memory of them because those were the people that they were and their lives were just unfortunately cut short by a very evil, disturbed man. Yeah, that is true. It did seem like they were great people and it is just so heartless and disgusting that someone could take them out of the world so thoughtlessly. But I am glad that you told this story. I definitely never heard it and it was very interesting. Thank you. So, yeah, if you guys want to actually hear from the family, which I definitely do recommend because their positivity, like, just shined a light on my day going through such a horrible thing. So I would recommend that. Um, It was People Magazine Investigates Season 2, Episode 5. And like always, I will link all of my sources below. So... That is the story of Lindsay Kutchall and Jason Allen and aka the Jenner Beach murders. Let us know what other summary type of cases you want to hear. If there's any specific cases, any specific themes, definitely let us know. Yes, let us know. We definitely like to do themes that go with the season. So let us know what you want to hear and we will try to provide Thank you for listening to another episode of You That's Creepy Podcast. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at Ew That's Creepy Podcast or send us an email at Ew That's Creepy Podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats. <laughs>